I know you want to win all of your fantasy leagues because you want those bragging rights, but most of all, you want that cash. So I've got a ridiculous deal for you, which is going to save you cash while making you cash. And that is $60 off of our fantasy draft content with coupon code SHARP60. That's S-H-A-R-P-6-0. I've never done a fantasy discount this large before, but you need to see what Rich Rebar has done this offseason. It's simply unparalleled. He's pulled together the industry's most comprehensive draft kit. It features detailed positional player tiers for drafting, positional rankings, and top 200s for every single scoring format. It also features a detailed draft approach for each position. He's got articles for every single position analyzing a full plan of attack at that specific position, best round-by-round -round targets, players with hidden appeal, and how you should strategize to beat the other opponents in your league. He's got an article like that for every single position group, plus analysis of ADP and more. But that's not all. You also get free coaching from Rich via subscriber-only YouTube videos that you can join and chat with Rich and ask him all of your fantasy drafting questions before your draft. He's going to do more multiple of these live video chats before the season starts and you get them with your client only access to the draft kit. But that's just the draft kit. Using coupon code SHARP60, you also get access to all of our in-season content as well. What is that? Every single Tuesday, Rich begins cranking out his must-read game-by-game previews, providing expectations for every single player in every game. No one else turns around predictive content as early in the week as Rich is doing. You also get all of our DFS plays, weekly player rankings, and much, much more. I am telling you, even at regular prices, you're not going to find more bang for your buck. But with coupon code SHARP60 saving you $60, you're going to be in for the best fantasy season of your life. You are in the heart of the fantasy draft season. Do not miss out on this deal before it's gone. Use coupon code SHARP60 today. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan McChrystal, back to talk more NFL season-long player props with you. Uh, last week, we, if you joined us, we talked about quarterbacks going over some overs and unders that I liked. Uh, certainly go back and check out that show again if you missed it, if you want to go over the quarterback position some more. And this week, we're going to talk about running backs. And before we dive into the props, let's quickly reiterate what I said at the top of last week's show about how I tend to prefer unders to the overs or at least those are the ones that I have a little bit more confidence in because obviously with unders uh, injuries are a factor uh, poor performances and getting benched is a factor there's stuff that's uh, somewhat somewhat unforeseeable at the beginning of the year that can lead to the under hitting more frequently and that just doesn't happen with the overs um, but that's a little bit more true with the uh, with the, at the quarterback position that it is with running backs so I'm more willing to bet the over on running backs and receivers and with quarterbacks because the reverse can help you sometimes. Whereas at a quarterback position, an injury can really only hurt you. There's only one quarterback on the field, obviously. If he gets hurt, the under is more likely to hit. At the running back position, an injury to somebody else, someone other than the player you're betting on, can sometimes boost that player's workload. So betting the over can an injury to someone else can sometimes help you out there. So it's a little bit less... Um, Factoring that in is a little bit less important, so I will bet more overs on running backs and receivers, just sort of as a general philosophy. Um, and so let's just dive into some of the player props I like, and we'll start with the overs. Um, and one of the ones that I like is Joe Mixon. I like the over on his 1,049 and a half rushing yards 
this season and a couple reasons for it. I mean, really the big reason why is I expect him to be a little bit more of efficient this year because the Bengals really improved that offensive line. He was effective last year running behind one of the league's worst units. Um, and that was really true. Uh, that You can really see how that affected him based on how he was uh, picking up untouched yardage last season. According to True Media, only 25% of his rushing yardage came before contact. That ranked 39th out of 50 qualified running backs. He also generated three or more yards before contact and only 21% of his carries. That also ranked 39th in the league. And that second number there is really important because long runs almost always come when there's a big chunk of untouched yardage at the beginning of the run. It's pretty rare that running backs will break off 10, 15, 20-yard runs when they're having to fight through contact right at the line of scrimmage because obviously that slows them down. It allows all the, everyone on the defense to react. Everyone in the secondary has an extra second to step up and plug gaps. If there's immediate contact, those long runs just don't happen that much. So we could see Mixon uh, have a few more explosive uh, plays in him this year as he's getting better production from that offensive line. Obviously, they added Lyle Collins, Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, the offensive line. Uh, Jackson Carmen is, you know, a year older. He was terrible last year when he was on the field. Maybe he steps in and, uh, you know, takes, you know, really earns a starting role and uh, performs a little bit better than he was last year when he was truly a liability on the offensive line when he saw action. Um, so, you know, the offensive line should be better. It should be a little bit easier on Mixon. And maybe he has some explosive plays that really sort of boost his yardage in big chunks this year. Now, the other factor that we have to acknowledge, and one of the reasons why this line, I think, is a little bit lower uh, than I would have expected is there's there's been some off-season talk about, especially from the fantasy, the fantasy community, about maybe Mixon having a little bit of a drop-off in performance this year. And I think that's partially because uh, some of the news out of Cincinnati from the beat writers and whatnot has been that Mixon's expected to basically give up the third down role. Like Chris Evans and or Samaj P. Ryan are going to cut into his action on third down. Now, if that's the case, that obviously affects his fantasy value. He's going to should see fewer uh, opportunities in the passing game if he's not going to play on third downs. But we're only talking about his rushing yardage here. Last year, Mixon only had 13 carries on third downs. When he, when he was playing on third down a little bit more. So he, when he was on third down, he was playing a passing role last year strictly. Of those 15 carries that he had on third down last year, only, th I'm sorry, of those 15 carries, 13 were short yardage attempts. And he's still going to get those attempts. So basically from a pure rushing perspective, there is no reason to expect Joe Mixon's third down role will change at all this year because he already was not, running the ball on third down. And when he was, it was a short yardage carry, which is still going to go to him uh, this season. So I don't see any reason to think his role in the run game changes at all this season. And when he does get opportunities in the run game, he's running behind a better offensive line. So why would we expect his run game performance to suffer this season? I don't see any reason to expect that. Uh, so I really like the over on his 1,049 rushing yards. Another over that I like on rushing yardage is sort of following a similar uh, similar theme to Joe Mixon. It's taking a guy that maybe there's a little bit of the, the fantasy community is maybe slightly down on this year. Um, but from a purely rushing yardage perspective, I'm still optimistic. And I'm going to take the over on Ezekiel Elliott 
Uh, there's a little bit of a range out there, but if you shop around, I've seen it. Uh, you should be able to get it at 850 yards, which I really like the over on that. Now, the reason why people are down on Elliott coming into this year, it basically has to do with the fact that Tony Pollard is there and he is consistently more explosive, more efficient in all aspects of the game. And so the thought is maybe Pollard takes on a little bit of a larger role. Here's the thing, though. That's pretty much only outside noise. There's not really any reason to think that anyone in the building in Dallas is pushing for that. Dallas won the division last year. They went 12 and five. The coaching staff all returns. Elliott was fairly productive in his role last year, even if he wasn't quite as explosive as Pollard was. There's no real reason to think the coaching staff wants to make a change. And from up top, Jerry Jones has always been a big fan of Ezekiel Elliott. He has nothing but good things to say about him. He was instrumental in making sure Elliott stayed in Dallas in that long contract. So there's no pressure coming from the top pushing to get Tony Pollard more touches over Elliott. So I don't see any real reason to think that a change happens here. Elliott's still going to be heavily involved. Um, now, maybe Pollard does get more involved in the passing game because it's it's obvious that he's been more explosive than Elliott over the past year or two. Uh, that certainly seems realistic. Uh, but we're talking about rushing yards only here. And I think Elliott is still going to see a pretty significant role in first and second down when the Cowboys are running the ball. And so just let's, let's just take a closer look at his stats and what he would need to do to hit the over on that 850 yards, which is a, a really low number for a starting running back. Just to be conservative, let's assume that he matches his career low in yards per attempt. That was 4.0 yards per carry two years ago. At that rate, to hit the over on 850 yards, he needs 213 carries. That's about 12.5 per game over 17 games. So he only needs 213 carries if he matches his career low in yards per attempt. To this point in his career, his career low in carries is 237 well above what he would need if he's running at that rate. So even if Elliott ha- matches his least efficient season, he needs a really modest uh, number of carries to get over that 850 yards. Uh, I would think he easily gets 213 carries over the course of a full season. In fact, I would expect him to get you know closer to that career low number of 237, 240, 250, somewhere in that range, because He's going to see a lot of the workload on first and second down as long as he remains healthy, which is a key factor here. He always has remained healthy. He is a, he's become, or he's always been a good downhill between the tackles runner. Um, But he's become really that guy for Dallas. That's what they're going to rely on him for as Pollard uh, continues to see more of a role in the passing game. And as that explosive runner on the edge, taking a look at some of Elliott's numbers from last year, 68% of his carries occurred versus a stacked box. Now that's a little bit of an indication that uh, the defense kind of knows what's coming when he's in the backfield. Now they're stacking the box because they know Dallas is going to try to run between the tackles with him. But Elliott has always been good at that. That's his strength going back to his days at Ohio State. He averaged 4.1 yards per attempt versus a stacked box last year and 4.3 yards per attempt over the last five seasons combined. Elliott has slowed down a little bit. He's less explosive than early in his career, but he's still a power runner between the tackles and has shown no signs of slowing down in that area. So assuming Dallas is going to still give him maybe 12 to 15 carries per game on early downs, running between the tackles, Elliott's going to clear this 850-yard mark. There's really no doubt in my mind. If he stays healthy 
in this role, that's just such a low number. Uh, and, you know, there's no, there's just no reason to think that Dallas would uh, reduce his role to such a point where he couldn't do that, assuming he stays healthy. The, the only way he doesn't hit the over on this number is obviously an injury is always a factor. Or maybe if there are significant injuries on Dallas and they just have a terrible season, you know, if they ended up winning only five or six games uh, because of an injury to Dak, maybe some other players like, and if that's the case, if they're playing from behind way more than we're expecting them to, that would also hurt Elliot a lot. But those are two really outlier scenarios that we're talking about a significant injury, forcing them to miss multiple games or significant injuries elsewhere that just causes Dallas to, um, be significantly worse than we're expecting them to this season. If they're a legitimate playoff contender, if Elliott stays healthy, this feels like one of the safest bets that I've seen out there is Elliott going over 850 yards. All right, so the third uh, over that I like for running backs this season is a little bit more risky. Um, certainly have less confidence in than mixing in with Elliott, but I like the over on Rashad Penny. Um, now, the reason why it's a little bit risky is obviously he has an injury history. So we could be right in expecting him to have a significant role in Seattle this year and still lose this bet because an injury creeps up again. But I've still got a little bit on the over at 749 and a half rushing yards. Now this is the same number he had last year. He had 749 rushing yards last season while really playing less than half the season. There were only six games last year where he played at least 40% of snaps for Seattle. So the reason why I'm willing to take this bet, even though he's an injury risk, is that injury risk is already baked into the number. I suspect this number is so low basically because of the fact that if they, you know, the odds makers are worried that if they put it too high, there would be too many bets on the under people who are basically just betting on an injury because of how banged up he's been throughout his career. But another big factor here is the fact that they drafted Kenneth Walker in a second round of the NFL draft. I think at the time that happened, there was a lot of speculation that he would genuinely compete for the starting job and challenge Penny for the role. However, at the time of the draft, Chris Carson's future was still kind of up in the air. We didn't know whether he would return and play a role here. Obviously, he has since retired. He retired in July. Seattle probably had an idea that that was going to happen, or at least that maybe he was not going to be able to give them much of anything this year. So this draft pick with that knowledge in mind now starts to look a little bit more about filling a real desperate need for depth, because uh, if it were just Rashad Penny, Seattle's depth chart at running back suddenly looks really scary, especially knowing that Penny is an injury risk. So knowing that that Seattle probably knew Carson was going to give them nothing, or perhaps they knew that he was leaning towards re retirement at the time. Uh, the decision to draft Walker doesn't necessarily look like a decision to add someone to challenge Penny for his role, but more about they needed a really viable insurance policy behind Penny uh, because Carson wasn't going to be able to do that for them. If these two are competing for a job though, I don't see any reason why Penny isn't going to win and see the lion's share of the touches as long as he's healthy in the backfield. Because, I mean, for starters, Seattle is not going to be very good on offense this year. Their offensive line is not very strong. And yet we know that Pete Carroll really wants to run the ball. He wants to get back to an old school, pound the ball up the middle kind of offense for some reason. Um, but he's going to do that. He's going to try his best to run that kind of offense. And Penny is just much better suited for that. 
Walker is, although he was very explosive at times last year at Michigan State, he's kind of an indecisive runner. Uh, he bides his time in the backfield and hunts for a hole so that he can break off a big play, which is fine in college when you're more talented than everybody. You know, if, when you're going up against Purdue's defense, uh, it's a little bit different than going up against the NFL defense. You're not going to get away with that. So last year in the Big Ten, Walker averaged 1.9 yards per attempt when he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage. So when defenses were able to sort of plug the holes at the line of scrimmage, they were able to contain him pretty well. That's actually the exact same number that Penny averaged last year in those situations against NFL defenses. And to sort of put that more of an apples to apples comparison, Penny's final year in college, he averaged 2.9 yards per attempt when contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage. So when Penny was forced to run into traffic, he was far more effective in college and he was moderately effective last year uh, in the NFL. And with Walker not really excelling in that area in college, I don't see any reason to think that he's going to do well uh, when he's running behind a bad offensive line and teams are stacking the box against Seattle, knowing that they want to run the ball at a high rate uh, and they don't have a lot of respect for you know whoever is at quarterback for Seattle this year. I think Walker could really struggle if he's forced into a significant role. So assuming both guys are healthy, I think Seattle is going to trust Penny a lot more, and I think he's going to be a lot more effective. So assuming he's healthy, even just for the majority of games, even if he plays just 12 or 13 games, 749 rushing yards is very low for someone who's probably going to see the lion's share of handoffs in an offense that wants to be run heavy. Any game where they're close, they're going to lean on the run game this year. We have to assume, based on how Pete Carroll has talked, how the roster is constructed now without Russell Wilson. So, uh, you know, if Penny plays 12 or 13 games, I think we easily get the over on that. All right. So those are the three overs that I like. Let's now talk about some unders and we're going to talk about some big name running backs here. And so I just want to be clear off the top. I'm not necessarily overly down on these players, skill sets, their general efficiency. I'm just down on these really high numbers that are out there for these guys. Um, so the first guy I want to talk about is Jonathan Taylor and Again, I'm not expecting Taylor to take a step back talent-wise. He established himself very clearly as one of the top two or three running backs in the game last year. But he's got, his rushing yardage number is 1,449 and a half yards. That's a really big number, even factoring in how good he was last year. Obviously, he cleared that easily last season. But it's just rare, even for the best guys, to get you know, close to 1500 yards in back-to-back seasons. It doesn't happen a lot. Everything's got to go right for you. Even the best running backs can't do this on a consistent basis. And so, you know, for a few reasons that I'll get to here, I'm just going to bet against it. Even if he has another very good year and is very efficient, I just don't think all of the factors line up in a row for him to have another huge season like that. I think if you're betting against a player getting close to 1500 yards, that's usually a good bet to make. Taylor had 332 carries last year. Really, really big number. Um, but I don't think that was I don't think that was the Colts game plan going into the year, and I don't think that it will be again. Through week eight last season, Taylor averaged 15.1 carries per game. Now, over a full 17-game schedule, that puts him at a pace of 257 carries. At 257 carries, he's not getting to uh, 1,500 rushing yards, certainly not getting to the 1,800 that he had last year. 
Um, but week eight was Marlon Mack's last game of the year. Now he was a healthy scratch regularly, but remember he had been returning from that Achilles injury in 2020. And he just, he was not the Marlon Mack that he was earlier in his career. And it basically left the Colts without a backup running back. Um, obviously they have Hines on the roster, but Hines is the pass catcher. They don't really like using him a whole lot in the run game. And so Indy basically went the whole second half of the season without a backup running back. Taylor was the the guy who was getting handoffs. And when the, when the score was within 10 points, Taylor had 94% of the team's handoff to running backs. That is a huge number and a pretty wide uh, score differential that we're working with there. It's not like we're just looking at one score games. Anytime the score was within 10 points, he is basically the only running back that they were using when they wanted to run the ball over the second half of the season. Uh, But through week eight, that number was only 69%. So again, they did not start the season uh, operating as though Taylor was their only option in the run game. That was, it appeared to be something that they felt like they were forced into and Marlon Mack just wasn't getting the job done. Um, And they brought in Philip Lindsay this year who, yeah, who knows, maybe they run into the same situation uh, with Marlon Mack last year where they're just not satisfied with his production and they lean on Taylor a lot in the second half. That could happen, but they don't want to do that. No, you know, they have a lot invested in Taylor. They want him to remain effective. I strongly think that uh, Lindsay is going to see a consistent uh, percentage of, you know, a small percentage of carries, but enough that it limits Taylor's overall touches. And so that he's not going to get those 332 that he had last year. Um, so that, that's one big factor. I think that his workload is going to decrease simply because Indy is incentivized to limit his touches and keep him fresh. Now, the other factor, and this is a really big one, Taylor picked up 550 yards on just 14 of his carries, just 14 out of those 332, kind of for 550 yards. That's 30% of his total total yardage coming on 14 out of 332 carries. That's crazy. Uh, That is an extreme outlier to get. Um, on on long runs and that that's a huge amount of luck now obviously only the best running backs are going to have a lot of long runs but to rack up that amount of yardage on long runs requires a bit of luck because the running back is not in control of where you are on the field when one of those holes open you know like the a running play from the opponent's 40 yard line versus the your own 20 yard line it can be the exact same play that gets you 40 yards versus 80 yards. And so that's why there's such a huge amount of luck in that number is that that's not in the running backs control at all. And so looking back through history, when players accumulate these huge uh, yardage totals on long runs, it drops off in a big way the following season because it is so heavily influenced by luck dating back to 2000. Taylor was just the 19th player to gain at least 500 yards on his long runs. None of the previous 18 reached 500 the following season. Only three of the previous 18 reached 400 yards. And on average, their long run yardage total decreased by 61% the following year. And the smallest decrease was 24%. So even the guy who came the closest to replicating that number still had a really big drop-off. And that was Ladinian Tomlinson from 2006 to 2007. Most of these guys, uh, there's a really massive drop-off because it is just so heavily influenced by luck. And when you look back over the list, I won't read through the full list, but I'll I'll throw out a few names. Like 
it is the best running backs in the league that are getting this yardage total. It is a skill to break off a lot of long runs. You know, got guys like I mentioned LaDainian Thomas, and he did it twice in his career. Adrian Peterson did it twice in his career. Chris Johnson did it. Derek Henry, Tiki Barber, Sean Alexander, Jamal Lewis, a few other guys on the list. Uh, but you get the picture. Like it, it is a skill to be able to do this. You're not going to luck into one of these seasons, but the ability, it is not a skill that can be replicated. Like he might have 14 carries of 20 or more yards again. That's very realistic, but he's not going to have the extra, extra long yardage runs that add up to 550 yards on such a small percentage of his carries again. So expect at least a 200 or so 200 to 300 yard drop off just on this sample of plays. His longest runs are not going to add up to such a huge chunk of yardage. So we know with an, a very high percentage of certainty that Taylor's yardage on his long runs is going to drop off. We also have, um, we, we have good reason to think that he's not going to have the same number of carries that he had a season ago, just because there's a strong incentive for Indy to limit his touches, to keep him fresh. And because Philip Lindsay was brought in to compete for uh, that backup job and hopefully take a handful of carries away from him per game. So those are two pretty significant factors that should limit his workload a little bit. And, you know, you know, like I said, Taylor's probably going to have a really great season again, but if he runs for 1400 yards that's hitting the under that's a that's a great season that's going to hit the under on this huge rushing total so i'm on the under on jonathan taylor's rushing yards so sticking with this theme of taking the under on some really talented running backs who will probably have good seasons i'm on the under on derrick henry's rushing yards it's, i think the highest number i've seen is 1350 and you know just like i said about jonathan taylor i think henry's going to have a good year but 1350 is a really big number it's especially a big number for a 28-year-old who's coming off an injury and who's had almost uh, who's had over 1,100 touches over the last four seasons combined. He's had a really big workload. He's coming off an injury. He's getting older. Tennessee has a lot of reasons to try to limit his workload, unless for some reason they just come out and say, "This is it. Let's run him to the ground and see what happens this season." <laughs> then, uh, unless they have that philosophy, which is doubtful because he is under contract for another year after this. I don't see any way that he sees his usual workload. I think they're they're going to try to lighten his load for the first time in his career. And one of the reasons I think that is their fourth round selection of Hassan Haskins. Now it's only a fourth round pick, so it's not a huge investment, but Haskins is one of the most Derrick Henry-like running backs to enter the draft in recent years. It's It cannot be a coincidence that they went out and added him in the draft and they made him a priority. He's not as big as Henry, but he is the perfect downhill between the tackles bowling ball type runner to fit into this offense. If you need, if you want to run the same offense when Henry's off the field, look at all the running backs around the league. I think Haskins is one of the best fits. I think he's going to do really well when he gets uh, opportunities um, from a fantasy perspective, I think he's a really interesting sleeper to have stashed, uh, could potentially be a really good handcuff because if Henry were to get injured, Tennessee's in a much better position uh, to maintain production in the run game with a guy like Haskins stepping in. But that's, that's beside the point <laughs> right now. I think just the fact that they went out and added Haskins shows that they know they need to limit his touches. And the best way to do that is to bring someone who can continue running the same offense who can handle the same types of carries that Henry does. And, you know, Haskins won't replicate Henry's production, but 
if they bring him in for five to seven carries a game, that could have a really big impact in lessening Henry's workload so that when they do need to lean on Henry in a game late in the season, maybe, maybe he's a little bit more fresh and can actually handle that because, you know, if you're running him into the ground, 25 carries a game, every game, that's a lot to ask for a 28 year old who's had a lot of work uh, over the past few seasons. Now, another big factor is that as Henry ages, I think he, I think we have to assume that he's going to become more reliant on his offensive line at some point, or I should say not more reliant, but just reliant because he's not reliant on his running game that much at this point in his career. He just runs through everybody, but Tennessee's offensive line was pretty bad last year. Um, Tennessee running backs overall, Henry and others, they picked up three or more yards before contact at the third lowest rate in the league last season. And looking specifically at Henry, uh, his rate of gaining three or more yards before contract, it dropped from 25% two years ago to just 18% last season. That's a pretty significant drop off of seven percentage points there. Um, and he his yards before contact per attempt was only 0.95 last season. That ranked 43rd out of running backs with at least 100 carries. So he had no running room last year, and he was asked, to just create for himself, which a fully healthy Derrick Henry in his prime has been capable of. He had a great year last year before his injury, but can he do that again at the age of 28 coming back from an injury with all these touches? I don't know. At some point, I have to assume he's not going to be able to do that. And it could be that we start to see uh, all these touches and the injury add up to him being a little bit less effective in that area. And even if he's just a little bit less effective, even if he is still among the best, if he's just not the Derrick Henry of old, that's going to hurt his ability to get to a big number, like 1350 uh, running behind a bad offensive line like this. So those two factors, I think that it adds up to Henry struggling to reach that number. And again, just like I said, with Jonathan Taylor, don't take this as me uh, saying that Henry's going to have a bad year or anything like that. I'm not like, I'm not advocating for avoiding him in fantasy or anything like that, but 1350 is a really big number. If he gets to 1250, that's a really good season and it's still well under uh, his rushing yards total. So I just think that's too many factors working against Henry this season. So I'm going to take the under on his rushing yards. Okay. Now the final under that I'm going to give out is a little bit different than the other two, because this is the running back that I am genuinely down on this year. That's Saquon Barkley. Um, his yardage total is only set to 900 yards. It seems like that number is pretty consistent uh, everywhere, uh, which isn't a huge number, but there's a few factors at play here that I'm, I'm pretty down on his outlook, um, at least from a rushing perspective. I should, I should clarify that there is a good chance that he sees a much bigger role in the passing game this year. So from a fantasy perspective, maybe Barkley uh, is even better this year, uh, but from a rushing perspective only, I'm very down on what he's going to be able to accomplish and on the opportunities that he's going to get this season. So I'm definitely on the under of 900 rushing yards here. And the first factor is obviously injuries. He's only played in 28 of 49 games over the past three seasons. That has to be factored in here. It, it's, it appears to be factored into the number a little bit already, but I'm, I'm still counting that as a reason to go to bet under the 900 yards. And the other big factor here is his role in the run game could change a lot under Brian Dable. Dable's offense did not produce a 900 yard rusher in Buffalo and no one was given more than 200 carries in Buffalo either. 
if Barkley were to maintain his career average of 4.5 yards per attempt, he needs 201 carries to hit the over. So even if he is an, is an efficient runner at 4.5 yards per attempt, he still needs a, a pretty big number. Or what would qualify for a big number of attempts in Dayball's offense? If he repeats last year's number, though, where his efficiency dropped off significantly at 3.7 yards per carry, that would require 244 carries. And I feel pretty confident saying he's not going to get that in Dayball's offense. 201, yeah, that could happen. Dayball could fluctuate a little bit and give someone 200 carries this year, but 244 is a big leap. So we either need Barkley to get an unrealistic number of carries in the run game, or we need him to just be a much more efficient than he was a season ago. And I'm not optimistic about either of those things happening. Now, the other reason, right, this sort of factors into that same thing, but I think that there's a chance Dable gets really frustrated with Saquon Barkley in the run game, which is going to be one of the reasons why I don't think he's going to get enough touches to hit the over on this number, even if he does stay healthy all season. Um, and we've heard, we actually have heard Barkley talk about this recently, but Dable has also touched on it too, but Barkley's running style is just not good. And I know Barkley has publicly pushed back on that uh, over the past week or so, but he's one of the most indecisive running backs in the league. And he was in college too. Like we knew this was something that Barkley struggled with. The thing in college, he was just so explosive and so much more dynamic than a lot of the defensive players that he was going up against. It didn't matter. He could bide his time and wait for a hole to open up and still be effective. And to an extent, he was able to do that during his rookie year as well, but it just hasn't been the case. It seems like the injuries have maybe caught up to him a bit and he's just, he's not able to uh, make up for his indecisiveness with his explosiveness. And so he's getting stopped for negative yards way too often. And that's going to drive Brian Dable crazy. If you look at over the past two seasons combined, so last year, plus the little bit that Barkley played the year before that, he was stuffed for zero or negative yards and 26% of his carries. That's the league's highest rate, obviously. That's a that's just an inexcusable number. You can't produce zero or negative yards and one out of every four carries. Uh, if Barkley does that or even approaches that number again this year, I think Dable is just going to stop using him in the run game or at least dramatically scale it back. He'll find other ways to get Barkley's touches because he's he'll probably still provide value in the passing game. Like I said, I would expect a career high in uh, some of his you know targets, receptions, yardage and whatnot. Um, but I think his run game has the potential to be kind of phased out because Dable might get really frustrated there. And, you know, obviously the, the, uh, the Giants offensive line has been a factor in this, but I don't think we can put it all on, on the uh, offensive line. Every other Giants running back over the past two seasons has been stuffed for zero or negative yards 11% of the time. So that's 26% for Barkley, 11% for everyone else. So, I mean, look at those numbers. Like it, it couldn't be more clear. This is Barkley. It's his running style. <laughs> Barkley can deny it all he wants. He's indecisive. He tries to hunt for the big play. You know, however you want to phrase it, he takes too long in the backfield. It's been a factor in his career dating back to college and he can't make up for it anymore. Like he was able to against big 10 defenses. Um, you know, may, maybe it's the injuries. Maybe he bounces back a little bit if he's healthy this year, but there's a lot of evidence at this point that he just doesn't have the running style. That's going to be efficient in the NFL. And that 
will probably drive Dayball crazy and it's going to cause his touches to suffer. So, you know, like I said, unlike the other two running backs I talked about, I, I am genuinely down on Barkley. I don't think he's going to have a very good year running the ball from a fantasy perspective. His, his pass game numbers might be great, but uh, I'm expecting him to be held under those 900 rushing yards because I just do not think he's going to be a, have a big role in the Giants run game this season. All right, that's it for the overs and unders. Um, but there was one other prop that I want to talk about, and that's the uh, prop to, on who's going to lead the league in rushing yards this season. Um, obviously, the favorites are two guys that we just talked about going under, Jonathan Taylor at plus 450, Derek Henry at plus 650. Obviously, I'm not going that route, since I'm betting the under on their yardage. Um, there's a lot of other realistic names, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, who we talked about going over. They're, they're right around plus a thousand or so. I haven't placed any of those bets. I just don't think there's quite enough value there, but there are two guys that I've put a little bit on. One of them we've already talked about today is Ezekiel Elliott. He's at plus 3000. I think that's a good value because like we touched on when I was talking about why I like the over, um, if Dallas is winning games, they're going to lean on Elliott to just run the ball and bleed the clock. So I do think that there's a scenario out there where if, if Dallas has a really good season, if Dak, you know, further bounces back and has a great year and Dallas runs away with the NFC East, Elliot could see a really big workload. If the game scripts on a week in week out basis are in his favor, uh, I, I think he does have a chance to have a really strong year and potentially lead the league in rushing. Um, and at plus 3000, I think that's, that's worth putting a little bit on. The other guy who we haven't talked about yet is Brees Hall at plus 5,000. Now, this there's a couple of factors here. One is that he plays in what should be a run-heavy offense. Now, we're not really necessarily expecting a huge season out of him because the Jets are still probably bad this year. Game scripts probably don't go in his favor to have a ton of touches. Um, but you never know. If the Jets do surprise us, Presence, if they're more competitive than we expect, even if they just finish around 500, that could be enough opportunities uh, for Hall to get a pretty significant uh, workload. And I think that, you know, well, one of the other factors, the reason why he's all the way down at plus 5,000 is Michael Carter is obviously in that backfield as well and could potentially factor in. I don't see any way this coaching staff decides that that's anywhere close to an equal workload in the run game. Now Carter is a fairly dynamic weapon and he should see some touches in the passing game. Um, but, you know, like we were talking about with Saquon Barkley being indecisive, I mean, C Carter is even worse in that regard. Uh, and that was a huge issue for him in college as well at North Carolina. He was extremely explosive. He could break off some beautiful big long runs uh, but then he'd followed up with two plays where he'd get stuffed in the backfield. He was a frustrating running back um, at Carolina, and he was just able to make up for it against college defenses in the ACC with a ton of long runs. And that's just not realistic. Uh, is that realistic in the NFL? I think that's really going to hold him back in his career because he continued to do that uh, as a rookie last season when he had opportunities. And I think that Jets coaching staff very quickly is going to realize they're a lot more comfortable in the ball with the ball in Brees Hall's hands uh, because they're going to give it to him. And he's much more reliable as far as just taking what's given to him, but then also having the explosive ability to hit a hole hard and break off some long runs of his own. So 
I, I really think that the carries share is going to skew dramatically more towards Brees Hall uh, than some of the projections that are out there. Uh, if you're, you know, if you've looked at those projections for fantasy and whatnot, I, I think Hall is probably being uh, shortchanged in terms of what he's actually going to get. So, you know, who knows? I, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to, I wouldn't necessarily, if it were at say plus 2000, for example, I'm not going there. It's not that likely to happen, but plus 5,000 comparing him to the other numbers that are there. Like that's the same as Devin Singletary. That's the same as uh, Miles Sanders. Like that's just not going to happen for some of these guys that are at the same number as him. Uh, He's only slightly ahead of Ronald Jones and Chase Edmonds guys who who have all, he's just slightly ahead of Kenneth Walker, who's, as I said, pretty clearly locked into a backup role. Um, he's grouped in with these running backs that have almost zero chance of leading the league. And I do think there's a scenario where the Jets win eight or nine games and Hall has a good workload in those games because when the Jets are winning, he should see a, he should see a fair number of touches in those games. So I, I think it's worth uh, that as far as a long shot bet. That's one of my favorite long shot props that I've seen out there this season, regardless of position. Um, so that wraps up this week's podcast going over the running backs uh, next week we'll be back again to talk wide receiver props with you